Okay, so we have been in a series called Colossians, and last week we were working on verses, chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. You remember all that? And then remember we talked about how the ancient Greek and the Roman ways of valuing women were kind of strange, difficult, demeaning, devaluing. And we looked through that, and then we looked at even the times of Jesus and the rabbis coming up to that point, how they viewed uh, women. So we saw that in the creation, when God had a really good feel for men and women, and when he created them, he did it with a lot of love and a lot of intention. And he said, you know, woman is a gift because it's not good for man to be alone. So he presents to Adam this gift called Eve, woman. And then um, we looked like at Pandora is Zeus' idea of a woman, remember? And she was the eternal curse for man. That's why he created woman. So we just saw a big contrast between that. And then we looked, I'm just doing a review, okay? We looked at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, where there was this phrase called Ezer Kenegd. I don't know if I'm saying that second one right. I know the first one I'm saying right. And it means helper suitable for him. And Ezer, we found, was a very powerful word. The word means someone that you call upon when you need help. It's the same word that's used for God, where God is my help. So when you're in trouble, you go to the big guns to get help. You don't go to somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. And that word, Ezer, was the word used to describe woman. Apparently, Adam needed help. And God could see that early on. And so he got a stronger ally, someone more suitable to help come alongside and rule and reign the earth. So then we get this big, powerful word, and then we get the second part of it, Kanade, which is, means equal. All right, so what God does is he says, bazam, and then he says, okay, let's bring her down to equal. So they're ruling and reigning at equal status. Now, how we got from there to where we've been is nuts. It's part of the curse. You know, when he's, remember after he sends them off and he says, okay, curse is going to be the ground, and Adam, you're going to have to work, and you're going to have to sweat, and you, girl, you're going to be going into labor, and it's going to be hard work, and, and you're going to desire for him, and... Basically, that is a curse. You know, we have pregnant women here all the time. And we don't say, Bethany, you are cursed. And so you are going to have to labor very hard for days. We don't do that. We pray for fast deliverance. We accommodate. We help. We we have learned what to do to help the process be safer, faster, and less painful, right? And we don't discourage that kind of behavior. So when people say, well, it's in the curse that women should be this way, we're like, well, who wants to live under the curse? Besides, if I understand clearly, Jesus said, I've become accursed for you. So he wanted to absorb that curse upon himself, right? So, all right, so we did that. That was fun. And then we find out, we come up to Jesus, and Jesus is like into, I want to take over the world. I got a very humble plan, and the plan is people. That's how I'm going to take over the world. And I need to liberate three-fourths of my people. Because three-fourths of them are shackled. All right? And typically, in a church, three-fourths of the church community are females. I don't think our church is an exception. And so Jesus is saying, we, we need to deliver these people. We need to set them free. 
And so Peter says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul envisions a world where Jews and Greeks, barbarians, free people, slave, men, women, are released to fulfill the kingdom work of God. And so Paul has to help us, help the people he was writing to, rethink and regroup and figure out another way that God had intended. Because what happens between male and female, husband and wife, is broken. So that was last week. And so now we're into this week. So now we're going to pray. Oh, Father, just thank you so much for... um, what your spirit is this morning. I was reading, listening to the music. I was like, wow, this is kind of like vintage music. And then you bring vintage people back, people we haven't seen for a while, Lord. We just bless you and thank you. knew that you already knew that, and you wanted them to feel comfortable and to feel like this is home. And so, Father, I just pray your blessing upon them. Oh, Lord, I thank you for the series that you've put us through, particularly me, Lord. I have learned so much and have been humbled as I read your word and I see how I fall short. Yes, amen. (laughs) Amen. And so, Lord, I pray that you would fill us today with a teachable spirit, that we would be willing to learn from you and from your word, and that you would change us through your power, Lord. We cannot do it alone. We need your power. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. Where are we? Okay, we're going to start with reading from Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. If we could all read that together. Wives, submit yourselves to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. Husband, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Anybody already feel like you failed the test? Those of you who haven't been married, maybe not. Those of you who have maybe had a girlfriend... Or a boyfriend, maybe you realize, hmm, I don't think I'm doing it right. So how are we going to interpret these scriptures? What does submit mean? What kind of love is this? Is it I love ice cream, I love bungee jumping, I like horses? Okay, let's look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 to 33. And we're going to read it again. And I liked how we read it last time. Did you guys like that? Okay, last time we had the girls, the gals read... um, Wait, go back. That's all right. It starts, gals there, and then here are the guys. The guys read, I think, the rest of it. Okay, ready? Let's go. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husband as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church submits to Christ, so also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. Okay. And, you know, what we discover really quick is the term in Christ, by the Lord, in Christ, in Christ, all over the place. And so we pick up right from the start that in every relationship, God is to be the center of it. There isn't one relationship that you're involved in or have been involved in where God didn't want to be the center of that relationship. You know, it doesn't matter if it's between husband, wife, parent, child, ex-boyfriend, ex-girlfriend, the grocer, your teacher, CPA, doesn't matter. God wants to be the center of that relationship. There's no sacred, secular relationship. So when you go to work and you have intention with your boss, invite Jesus into the relationship. Invite him because he's there and he wants to have a relationship there. He wants to have 
involvement in your life. Now, seven times in Colossians, Paul refers to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Verse 17, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 18, in the Lord. Verse 22, fearing the Lord. Verse 23, for the Lord. Verse 24, from the Lord you serve the Lord Christ. Then in seven times in Ephesians, he does the same thing. To the Lord, as to Christ, to the Savior. Now, although we're looking at Colossians, we're going to look at Ephesians also because they're parallel passages. In both of them, Paul uses what's... I talked about this last week, but I want to repeat this part. Paul uses what's called household codes. When you write a letter, and there's going to be instruction in the letter, part of that letter needed to be dedicated to talking about household rules, household codes. So you see that in Colossians, and you see that in Ephesians. And so... Uh, we're going to look at those two together. Now we're going to look at three words. Okay, this is what I promised. The first one was head. The husband is the head of the wife, Paul ex- explains, as Christ is the head of the church. Now in English, the word means, the word head has two meanings. It has a physical head, and it has the sense of somebody who has leadership of a body of people, right? He's the head of the department. Right? So we have these kinds of thoughts. There's, these two meanings can intertwine. You know, I can mean one and mean one at the same time, both of them same time. But that's not true in the Greek. In the Greek, we have two separate words that mean those two separate things. And this is important. The first one is the word arche, and it means head in terms of leadership and the point of origin. It can be used to mean beginnings in the sense of as the first, as in archetype. Arche also has been used to mean first in terms of importance and power like archangel. They all relate to the head of a group or in terms of leadership. That's that one Greek word, (coughs) arche. And sometimes in the Bible we're going to find puns. You probably have seen them. Jesus used them a lot. But there are puns, not so much to be humorous, but to be witty. So they'll use a word, and it has two meanings. So they can knock you on both spots. Okay? Well, this is not the case here. Paul was a man that understood the original text, clearly. He understood the original meaning of these words, and he knew to use his words powerfully, and he selected them intentionally. So if he wanted to get across the idea of leadership and power, and first, and strength, he would have used the word arche. Okay? So, because that way, the people would have understood, okay, arche, we get it, that kind of a head. But Paul uses another word. Anytime Paul talks about husbands and wives, he never used the word arche. Okay? He uses a different word. And that different word is called kephali, which literally means the head of a body, the physical part of the head, the body. It also had a meaning of source, but it never meant leader, boss, chief, ruler. Kephali also was a military term. And what it meant is like if you had a a soldier and you were going to go to a group and you were going to fight, the commander would say, go out and scout. Come back and tell us what you saw. So the scout would go out, and that word, kefali, had that meaning. He'd come back and report about the terrain or about the army. So he was the first to go into battle. 
Now, in the book called What Paul Really Said About Women by John Briscoe, I have a really good quote there I'm going to be reading from. Therefore, two words in Greek can both be translated into one English word, head. One word means boss. The other means physical head, or sometimes the first soldier into a battle. Unfortunately, an English-speaking person who reads that the husband is head of his wife will normally conclude that this means the husband is to rule over his wife. This is what Aristotle taught and what most Hellenized people thought. The husband is an archi to his wife, head of the household, and ruler over all his family. That is what they thought. Paul deliberately chose the other word. But people who depend on the English translation cannot know that. Okay, now you may be asking, can we be certain that Archi and Kephali really mean something different? Can we really be sure about that? Is it possible for Kephali sometimes to mean boss or ruler? Now, by the time Paul was alive, very few people read Hebrew. And so they wrote another version of it in Greek. It's called the Septuagint. Now, Paul was versed in both. He's one of those scholars that dedicated himself to the study of the Torah. So he knew both languages. Okay? Now, in the Hebrew, like in English, there is one word that means head. Now, stay with me. I know you guys are, had coffee, so you should be with me. If you haven't had coffee, you need it, go get some. But in English, there is one word. I mean, sorry, in Hebrew, there is one word that means head, and it's the word rosh, R-O-S-H. And when these 70 scholars came together to translate from the Hebrew into the Greek, the Old Testament, they had to look at the context of rosh in order to decide, are we going to use arche or kephali? And when it meant ruler, leader, boss, what word did they use? Arche. And when it meant first in origin or it meant the head of the body, or as a scout, they used the word arche every single time. Kephali, excuse me. There was no exception. Thank you for that correction. Now, Paul, like I said, was versed in both. But to us, the modern reader, we would miss that. And the church has missed that for a long time. And it's understandable I'm not here judging anyone. It's understandable why we may have gotten it mixed up. But Paul took extra effort to specifically not mean what we've made it mean for centuries. Now let's look at the word submit. Submit. The word submit in Ephesians appears in Greek only two times in that passage that we're studying. Okay? But it appears in the English translation three times. Can you guess which one it shows up that is not there? Well, let's look at it. Verse 21 is, says, Be submissive to one another out of fear to Christ. In the English translation, it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, sometimes, depending on what version you have, if you have NIV, often verse 21 is cut off from the passage about men and women and put onto the one before. Like it's not relevant. Okay, so, But really, I see that we need to look at verse 21 when we look at the passage between husband and wife. Okay, Because it starts, it's, that's the title. Be submissive to one another. 
be mutually submissive to one another. This is the standard of the body of Christ. It's not exclusive to just women. So he starts with that, okay, that verse 21. Then in verse 22, as the church is submissive to Christ, so also wives to the husband in everything. Verse 24. In English it translates, oh, I'm sorry, let's go back to 22. That was 24. Wives are to husbands as to the Lord. So in this verse, verse 22, there is no word submit in the Greek. Period. End of comment. That word is not in there, but we put it in the English. Now the reason why we do, and it's a good reason, is they go back to verse 21, which often is cut off from that passage, to borrow that verb into verse 22. And it's understood that it's there. Although it's not there, it's understood that it's connected. And this has become more important as we continue to study. So that verse would look something like this. Wives are to submit to their husbands just as the church submits to Christ. Now, verse 24. As the church is submissive to Christ, so also the wives to the husband in everything. In English, that's translated just as the church submits to Christ, so also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. Now, if Paul had used the word RK, boss, leader, in this context, you get the sense that somebody's ruling, that somebody's bossing, that somebody's the leader, right? And therefore, you can look at the word submit and say, okay, well, someone's got to obey. We're going to have this, then we have to have a group, right? But since he did not use that word, and he used the other one, there is no connotation there in the Greek for anybody bossing anybody around. So, if we decided, well, I still want to hold on to the obey thing, then look at verse 21 where it says, submit to one another, mutually submit to one another. What does it look like when a church obeys one another? That does not make sense. And not until you understand what the word submit means, will it make sense. We can't just pick and choose and say, well, here I like it to mean submit, and here I mean it to obey, particularly when the word kephali is used. We do this. We've done this. I've done this. It's been done to me. So, mercy to me, mercy to y'all. Okay, now, we're going to dip into some grammar. (coughs) Hang in there with me. I will try to make it as painless as possible. Those of you who hate grammar in school, struggle with it, I will do my best to make it comfortable. I want to look at the word obey, hupakoo. And this word is used to describe relationship between parent and child, slave and master, never, ever, never between husband and wife. It's not there. You can look at your Greek text. It is not there. He did that intentionally. Paul did that intentionally because he uses that word just a few verses later. Just a few verses later, he uses that word to describe parent, child, slave, master. So it's not that he didn't forget about the word. He remembered it and knew how to use it. So he uses the word hupotasso. Hupotasso is the word for submit. And now we're going to dip into the grammar. Okay, now hupotasso is in the active form. No, excuse me. When it is in the active form, it has the sense of a conqueror vanquishing a people. Okay? 
But Paul never uses hupotasso in the active form to describe any person. He only uses it when God does it, but not between people. Instead, Paul uses hupotasso in addressing wives, and it's in the imperative middle voice. Okay, now, imperative. Imperative move is combined with the middle uh, voice. Okay, a mood and a voice combined together. And they make a very unique presentation, which is what I'm going to bring to you. Okay, the function of the imperative mood when connected with the middle is for instruction. It gives the impression that Paul's teaching, instructing, disciplining, or discipling the people. And he's instructing this clearly. We already talked about it being household code. That was instructional letter. Instructional letter always has this in there. So we already know that Paul's in a teaching mode. Right, And so he uses this form to do this. We don't have these uh, kinds of benefits in the English language. Okay? But in the Greek, which was the word that, language that God used to write a lot of our, his words, does have this so we can get a richer, deeper sense of what he was trying to say. Now, in the English, we have um, in passive. Okay? Active voice. The subject is doing something. He's the one doing something. I teach. That's active, okay? Passive is being done to me. I'm the target. I'm the one receiving it. I am being taught, right? Active, I teach. Passive, I am being taught, all right? In Greek, praise God, there is a middle voice right here that cannot be determined which way it really goes because it has characteristics of both, characteristics of activity, characteristic of passivity, okay? It's got both of them. I'm doing it is being done to me. Now, languages like Tamil, languages like Spanish, language like Koine Greek has this middle voice. We do not have it in the English language. And so it's a little bit harder for us to grasp it, but I'm going to help us. The middle voice is often reflexive. What that means is I do it to myself. Okay? So the girl teaches herself. Okay, I teach myself by listening, by reading, by paying attention. I teach myself reflexive. Spanish people, you understand that. Okay? It also occasionally is causative. Okay? What that means is the father caused his daughter to be instructed. Because of what was being done to her, it caused her to be instructed. So you see how it kind of is in between both planets? Okay? Middle voice. I do it to myself, and because it was being done to me, I, this happens. All right? All right. So, let's review. It's right there. A person teaches active, a person taught passive, a person chooses to teach themselves by carefully listening, reasoning, learning, middle voice. A person is treated in such a way that she is being instructed, middle voice. All right. So, because submit is in the middle voice, the sense is that women voluntarily are choosing to do something because of something being done to them. Okay, you kind of, you're tracking with me? So my definition of submit is cheerfully come alongside, cheerfully come alongside the vision of another. That's my definition. I like it. You'll hear me say it a lot. Cheerfully come alongside the vision of another. Okay? So in both Colossians and Ephesians, what is the vision of another? What is it that is happening to the wife that she can cheerfully come alongside? 
That's it. Wow. Concept. Yeah, so something I can cheerfully come alongside with, which is a vision of another, which is love. That is the point of that passage. That is why we can submit to one another because we love one another. Not because you're the boss. Not because I'm standing here and you're sitting there. You're submitting to me. I'm submitting to you. I'm, you know, when I prepare this stuff, it, I'm thinking about you all the time. Lord, how can I help the word become real to them? How can I set them free? And you're sitting there thinking, how does this make sense to me? And how can this make sense for my neighbor? Right? We're mutually submitting to one another. Okay, so the word agapeo is not eros, it's not phileo, it's agapeo. So we're going to look at that word, Ephesians 5. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as you are to the Lord. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it just as Christ does for the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and a wife should respect her husband. Colossians 3:18-19. Wives, submit to your husband as it's fitting in the Lord, and husband, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Now the word submit, hupotasso, is used in relationships to wives in the context of husbands loving them. I'm not making this up. This is the context of that word. So it means voluntarily choose to come alongside the vision of another, and in both of them, the vision is love. So women who are married, you can cheerfully come alongside the vision of your husband to love you. No, that's not funny. That is exactly what that passage means. And you take it out of that context, and you are off. You will do what we've been doing for centuries, taking advantage of the weak. Now, I said that in the word agapeo, he did not use arrival, or I'm sorry, because that's erotic, sexual, passionate kind of love. He did not use phileo, which is love that's between friends, feelings of fondness kind of love. didn't use either one of those words. He uses agapeo. Now, I do premarital counseling off and on. And I also do courtship, premarital counseling. But when I do marital counseling, most of the time the couple's in a spot, a desperate spot, at a crossroad. They're in trouble. Very few couples, I can only think of a couple, who've come to me and said, we would like to have our yearly checkup to see how we're doing. Okay? Most of the time they come because they have trouble. Juan's a counselor. People don't go there just to say, hey, I haven't seen you for a while, Juan. Tell me how I'm doing. Okay? Unless they're friends. Okay? They go there because they're in trouble. So when people come to me asking for premarital counseling, they're in trouble. And most of the time, not always, but most of the time, it is the female who really wants to keep working at the relationship. But in this one particular time, I remember it was the husband. He really wanted the relationship to work. 
And she said, I'm done. I am done with this. I've lost all hope that this marriage can work. She was finished. Obviously, she'd been very hurt and very broken for her to get to that place. I understood that. So I turned to him. I said, do you want to put out the work? I mean, are you willing to keep loving her even though she does not reciprocate? And he said, yes. Just tell me how. Well, the first thing that I would do is think, okay, this is impossible. I can't help them. I mean, I think that. I've been doing this for years, but I think that comes to my head. Anybody who's done counseling, you start hearing people's messes, and you think, oh, my gosh. That's the evil one trying to keep you from saying, in Jesus' name, I can. So I hear this, I'm like, okay, well, this is an impossible situation. I only know one person who can make it possible, so I led him to Christ. If you want power to do what you haven't been able to do, you're going to need to have a relationship with the power source, which is Jesus. And he said, please, I want Jesus in my life. So he received Christ, and then I said, okay, now you need the Holy Spirit. So let's pray for the Holy Spirit to come on you and empower you. I am not exaggerating. Two months they came to me, and she was like this. She was not going to budge. She was not going to cooperate. And this guy, he said, okay, now what do I do this week? So I told him, okay, this week you're going to do this, this, and this, okay? All right. And he would do it. After two months, I said, okay, are you willing to come alongside to the vision of your husband to love you? And she said, yes. Yes, I will. He had won her over by the power of God's love. Are you willing to acknowledge that he's been trying? And are you willing to reciprocate? Are you willing to submit to that which is being done to you, the vision of another? She said, yes. It wasn't, are you willing to obey your husband? And let him be the head of your house. And you just do what he says, whether you like it or not. That was what was breaking that relationship. So he tells wives, cheerfully come alongside the vision of your husband and submit to love. Now, let's talk about the word love. Now, the third word I want to look at is that word love that we find in both Colossians and Ephesians. And I want you to understand, going back to grammar, that when Paul used the word love relative to men, to the husbands, he put it in a very interesting form. Command. This is not a suggestion. This is not encouragement. This is a command. For the woman, it was, come alongside to the vision of another. Let, let this happen to you. But for the man, he very clearly used a command form. Because he knows that's where it's got to start. Don't start here. You start here. Loving. And so this word is a very Christianese word. It's a strong Greek word. And we find it a lot in the New Testament. Jesus used it in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. You must love agapeo, the love your the Lord your God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally important. Love, agapeo, your neighbor as yourself. There it is. Jesus commanding us to agapeo him and agapeo one another. 
And then Jesus, Jesus used the word again when he commands us to love our enemy. How dare he? In Matthew 5.43, you have heard the law say, love your neighbor and hate your enemies, but I say love agapeo, your enemies. Paul strategically used this word over and over and over again in the Colossians and Ephesians passage. Husbands, love your wives. Verse 25, husband, love your wives. Verse 28, husbands should love their wives. He should love his wife. Verse 33, should love his wife. Okay, Paul, I get it. Right? This is why girls repeat themselves to the men in their lives, you know. You didn't get it the first time. This is a Christian understanding, self-sacrificing kind of love that comes from Christ. Outside of Christ, that word makes no sense. The Greeks, the Romans, the Jews, outside of Christ, that word makes no sense. But those of us who have encountered Christ and his love, we can because we've seen it done for us. You know, when... Nobody, including Jesus, wants to be nailed onto a cross and whipped and basically naked in front of people, especially when you know who you are. Nobody wants to do that. But he was willing to do that because he loved us. And that is the kind of love he's pointing to. That is the kind of love I want you to have. William Barclay stated really well, so I'm going to quote him. Nowhere other than in the New Testament, in places like Colossians 3.19 and Ephesians 5, do we ever read the instruction, husband, agapeo, love your wife with a self-sacrificial love. All the other household codes, which I've been talking about, said husband, rule your wife. Husbands, govern your wives. Only here do we have this revolutionary statement, husbands, lay your life down for your wife. Sacrifice your rights for your wife. Sacrifice your personal interests for your wife. Husbands, serve your wives. Don't just be self-serving. You serve your wife. Be a blessing to your wife. Be a strength to your wife. Be a support to your wife. Be an encouragement to your wife. The test of your quality as a husband is to ask, is your wife flourishing? Is she growing? Is she thriving because you love her so well? End of quote. Paul is pointing to a higher level of love. We do not see this in movies. I do not read it on the front cover of all the magazines every single time I go to the market. The kind of love that they're promoting is not this kind of love. Laying down our life for one another. Paul raises the bar and it is absolutely shocking to his contemporaries because they have heard the household codes for centuries. And when Paul Christianizes them and uses these words, it is absolutely shocking. You know, we read that passage and we just kind of, hmm, yeah, I've read that before. I read it once before. But these folks, when they heard, they were like, oh my Whatever you want to put in there. This is shocking. You want me to what? And what's her part? I, I mean, you hardly said anything to her. 
Why, no. She's got to get herself to that place where she's willing to cooperate with the vision that you have to love her. <laughs> Big deal. And then there's a little verse that says, and she ought to respect him. Okay. Okay, I'm going to say something here. When I get together with some of y'all, women, it seems to be fair game to bash your husbands. Right? Guys don't do this. Now, they can bash women in general. I was talking to Joseph about this. They kind of like bash women in general, you know. But they don't like to bash their wives. They don't do that. I don't know why you guys don't do that. There's a lot of reasons you could say of things we do that are bashful, right? But we do this. <laughs> we do this. The women, we do this. We do not respect our husbands. So, yeah, we need to work on that. <coughs> I didn't do a lot of study on respect. I'll do that next time. Okay. So now here's the question. Passive, active, reflexive, causative, command. If we're supposed to do this, oh, <laughs> Priscilla makes my PowerPoints. You know, she, she misses us, and every once in a while she just throws it in for nuts. I don't know. I'm going to throw them in there. Okay, um, how is marriage going to work if nobody's in charge? Anybody's starting to feel a little uncomfortable? I mean, somebody's got to make the decision. Someone has to have the final say, right? Well, it's just the one with the louder mouth. You know, who's going to win? Because I would win every time. <laughs> I love you, Daniel. Okay, now Randy and I make 100 decisions every single day, okay, apart from one another. But there are some decisions that we know we need to get together and talk about this. If we're going to make an expense over $100, we need to talk about it, honey, right? We're not going to make those decisions. We're going to talk about that. If we're going to make a commitment that's going to affect our family life, my time, my energy, my resources, we need to talk about it. I don't just decide, okay, from now on on Mondays, I'm going to do such and such with the girls and not talk about it with my husband, all right? He's not going to pick up a hobby that's going to affect our time, energy, and resources without us talking about it, all right? So those really hard ones, we have to talk. We seek wisdom. We'll talk to some of you. We'll read about it. We pray because, my goodness, he knows a lot more than all you collectively. So then I'll just, we'll pray and we ask the Holy Spirit, how do you feel about this decision? Now, it works wonderful when we both hear the same thing. When we both download the same information, we're going to go. And if we have bumps, it's okay. This was God's plan for us to have bumps together. All right? But what happens when one gets one way and one gets the other way? Well, this is what happens at our house. Here it comes. Strong conviction. I feel like this is what we should do. And the other one's like, I don't have any conviction about it at all. Okay, then we're going to go with this. No problem. I can very easily submit to the vision of the other. Let's go for it. Okay, but the problem is, when I feel strongly about this, and I feel strongly about this, and they're two different things. This is where you're all wondering, what are we going to do? Okay? And this is what we have learned to do because we have what's called an egalitarian marriage. Okay? You may have a different kind, but this is what we do. So what ends up happening? Strong conviction, strong conviction, opposing Guess what? One of us is wrong, or both of us is wrong, 
or we're supposed to wait. That's just what, how we function. Now, clearly, sometimes there's skill and strength, okay? For instance, I did most of the nurturing and growing up of our daughters. So when we're talking about rearing our children, how are we going to do this? Of course, we would pray and we think. And I had strong conviction about something. Then Randy would submit to it. She's more skilled. But if in prayer he got a check, I don't think you should put her in the room for three days without seeing anybody but you. <laughs> Which I have done. And it worked. Very extreme cases. I May mean, I should debrief a little bit? Our worship leader, that's who I'm talking about, our beautiful, precious worship leader, she was being mean consistently to my third daughter, Esther, constantly getting Tabitha to do mean things to Esther. And I just like, I can't believe my precious Joy Elizabeth would do this. <laughs> I'm crying and asking God, please, God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And so he downloads this idea put her in her room for three days of course you're going to feed her and you're going you're the only one that's going to see her and you just let her know why you're doing this because i told you to and she needs to learn to love her sister okay what just so happened it was a weekend which was miserable for me because i had to stay with her on sunday yeah i love sundays i love going to church that song better is one day in a court than a thousand somewhere I'm totally about that song. Okay, so there I am with her. I bring her breakfast. I bring her lunch and a tray and dinner. First day, she's having a blast. She's playing games. She's having fun. She's organized her closet, her drawers, under her bed. <laughs> Everything looks awesome. She's I'm not having a good time. Second day, this is where she was. It broke my heart. It was the second day. It wasn't even the third day. At the edge of her bed, sitting like this waiting for me to come to bring the meal. I bring the meal. Oh, Mommy, thank you. Mommy, you're not going to talk to me? By the third day, I was bawling because I missed her. The girls were missing her. She was, and I tell you, it broke. That day, when she came out of that room, she treated Esther so differently. I don't know if Esther remembers, but I remember it. And uh, don't use this. You guys, don't just use it. Okay, I'm going to use that one. Pray about it. You've got to hear from the Holy Spirit. When we talk about, when we're going to get into parent-child, I could have used this illustration, but I won't. But, you know, you have to pray about it. Okay, getting back to, where were we? Oh, yeah, making decisions. <laughs> making decisions. Okay, so child-rearing, most of the time, Randy would submit to me unless he got a check. Bookkeeping, financial, insurance, big decisions like that. I hate numbers. I was good in math, but I hate it when it came to real money. Don't like that. So he feels strongly about something. It was very easy for me. But if I ever got a check, no, honey, I'm just having a check about this car. I'm not really sure we should do this. He would submit. Okay, now what happens is we also have this, this plan that we have to wait. Because the timing is wrong. We don't have the, the sense together. The timing must be wrong. Now, you guys, I'm not a dummy. I know you are not. No decision is a decision, right? And you're thinking, Haha, I won. No. No, it isn't. It's because a lot of time our timing is off. And so what happens, you keep praying, you keep seeking. Two weeks later, more information comes, and one of you goes, 
Now I know why we didn't do that. Because something better was coming just around the corner. If we got into this one, something would be better. Okay? So this is how it works in our household. This is how we do it. So I know some of you are into the, what's it called? Brass tacks or what's the saying? Oh, never mind. My brain mixes these things. You know, it's the, you know, the, yes, getting down to the brass tacks. Thank you. Yeah, you just want to know the practicality of it. Now, I understand that some of you are going to want to be more traditional in how you do your home life. I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is for a woman to think the submission is submitting to physical, sexual, verbal, or emotional abuse and say that's God's will. I'm not cool about that. I'm not cool about a woman not being able to express her God-given gifts, her intelligence, or her creativity. I'm not cool about that. Neither is Randy. But if you decide to go more of a traditional view, we're okay with that. We really are. Because just like not one size fits all for parenting, not one size fits all for marriage. We understand that your way of working it out might look a little bit different. But the devil, in the meantime, has been trying to limit us from being all that God intended us to be in the kingdom of God, period. That's the way he is. And so I want to do some heavy-duty ministry this morning. I have a feeling from checking with him that most of you are going to need to do some business with God. By the time I share what I feel like he's asked me to say to you for ministry, that there are few of you that may not be standing. So I don't really know how he wants to do this. I know, Randy, you're in a good place. So, Randy, you come up and help me. Um, I don't want anybody to feel like you're on, like, you, you know, usually I'm a board captain, I'm a board member, okay, you know, I got to pray for somebody. No, we're just going to trust the Holy Spirit that if you're one of those people that needs prayer, needs ministry, that the Holy Spirit is going to minister to you. Okay? So that's what we're going to be about. So I'm going to pray first, and then we'll see how this goes. Yeah, you got something? So already? No? Not yet. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, but... <laughs> Oh, you're going to feel it in just a minute. I can tell you. It's, it's really, it's here. I can feel he's here and he wants so much to set us free. Thank you, Lord. So, Holy Spirit, we love you. We love you, Holy Spirit. We love how you help us to hear things that we've been deaf to hear and how you help us to see things we've not been able to see. And now you want to free us, Lord. You want to free us. You want us to experience your love in so many ways, through your son, through our husband, through our father, through our mother, through our neighbor. But you even want our enemies to love us if they're a Christian. Wow, Lord. You've got us pegged. And so we are here, Lord, to say we need you. We need you to set us free. We need you to heal us. We need you to empower us, Holy Spirit. So come, Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm counting on you to minister to the body, to this church I love. Give us, um, Randy and I, Father, your strong impressions. And most of all, Lord, follow through with what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen.
And we're just going to just close your eyes and just wait on the Holy Spirit. Let me sure we're, we're hearing. Okay, I want to first uh, pray for the women and just keep your eyes closed and um, as I begin to say these things if it's true for you then as a woman I want you to stand and so it's just you know your agreement oh that's me and let the Holy Spirit just begin that work okay if you have been harmed by men or by women in the church and they have told you you cannot do such and such because you're a woman. I want you to stand. Um, if you've been a woman who has been harmed in her home life by a father or a husband or a brother that said, you know, you cannot do this because you're a woman and it caused you hurt, I want you to stand. If you've been abused in marriage under the idea of submission, and you're hearing this and realizing, oh my gosh, what was I doing? And you realize this is not what God wanted. I want you to stand. If you're a woman and you have not cheerfully come alongside the vision of your husband to love you, you've been resisting because you're hurt, He's offended you one too many times in that area, so you are not budging. I'm going to hold on to that hurt. I want you to stand. If you're a woman and you have resisted stepping into your calling, into your giftedness, because you didn't understand how that works as a woman, I want you to stand. If you're a woman and you've disdained your role in the kingdom of God, I won't do that. I'll do everything else, but I won't do that, Lord, because you know who I am. I want you to stand. If you're a woman and you've lost your creativity and your passion is waning, it's really important your passion is waning and you feel like you lost creativity I want you to stand okay come Holy Spirit come Holy Spirit Holy Spirit, we want our women set free. Father, some of them have to repent. Some of them have made decisions in their heart, and they have to repent. They have cursed themselves, Lord. They have to repent. Lord, I pray you empower them to confess their sin before you, Lord, and that they would repent.
And some of them, Father, have been so wounded and confused that they're they're covered. They're covered, Lord. They're bound. They don't fully understand what you're doing right now, Lord, and what you're asking of them. And Father, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, you would come and you would heal them, Father, of their brokenness. Father, we are sorry for how we have damaged our sisters in Christ. As men and as women, Lord, we repent for damaging these sisters, Lord. And Father, we stand here, even though it may have not been from my lips, maybe it came from the lips of someone else, Lord. Maybe it wasn't their husband, but it was another. Father, we all corporately say we ask for your forgiveness. And if you're standing next to, if one of these ladies, you could open your eyes now, is standing next to you, would you just lay your hands on them? On their shoulder would be an appropriate place if you're a man. And just pray for the Holy Spirit to touch them, to heal them, to set them free. We're going to take some time this morning. I'm not rushing this morning, so don't feel like, okay, you're going to pack up your best. I'm not rushing. If you feel released to ask that person that you have your hand on their shoulder what God is doing, would you just ask them, what's, what's he brought to your mind? Some of them are not going to be able to share because it's so hurtful. But some will be able to, just so you have a sense of how to proceed and pray for them. Just ask them what's going on, what's God showing you.
because we want to give time to our ladies and then we're going to be praying for the men. Kind of like Clara had some thoughts. She has a few here, but um, what came to mind for me as we were praying was um, uh, the first one that seems to be keep rising is is men who have been harmed by uh, overly domineering women. Uh, could have been a mother. Uh, could have been a spouse. It could be. Um, even an employer, um, the mutual submission one unto another is a general sweeping command. And he gives the illustrations of wives to husbands, husbands to wives, children to parents, parents to children, workers to employers. So any time that there is domineering, dominating, controlling influence... <clears throat> that's counter to love. And it happens in our world. And so uh, I'm thoughtful that if um, in this application, Claire's, this could work for women too, but we're just going to stay on the men's side. Mm. If you're a man who has been uh, harmed, um, thwarted, um, minimized by a domineering, women, I would like to ask you to stand. Um, Another one um, is that what's been put on men in the church is this requirement that if you're really a godly man that you will be the head and you'll lead, particularly spiritually. And what was needed was mutuality, strengths of husband and wife working together. And as a result of that expectation, you have found yourself... um, low self-image, feeling like a failure as a husband, as a Christian man. You've just not been able to match up to that expectation and have felt like you've let God down and your family down. And so I would welcome you if you find yourself in that posture to stand.
I think it's possible that there would be some men as well who, um, coming from the understanding of rulership, um, have facilitated um, an unloving situation as a husband with your spouse. And that though there can be models and patterns that are uh, perhaps slightly different in how it's worked itself out, you're still commanded to love. And love means to consider the needs of the other above your own. And so again, a domineering rulership is unbiblical. Um, Leading is okay. That's an okay word, lead. Um, But dominance is not. It doesn't fit the passage at all. It doesn't fit love. Because it's considering the need of the other. Now, that doesn't mean that leading can't happen. Anyway, so I think it's possible um, that there may need to be some reflection, some repentance uh, by some men uh, relative to how you've, how you've led and what you've understood relative to uh, the concept of headship and or rulership in your home. And then the last one I'm thoughtful of is um, that as husbands, we do need to better love our spouses. Um, That we haven't as well as Christ did us. And that there is space uh, for improvement and for his empowerment, like Clara was telling with that illustration of that man who knew he couldn't, wasn't getting it done. I'm reminded of my friend uh, Wayne Marcy as well, who spoke a couple months ago, for those of you that were here, and went to counseling with for their marriage. And the counselor said, love your wife. Every week, the counselor said, love your wife. And every week he'd go away and, how do I do that? And never got the coaching and the help. But the scriptures are full of uh, ways and means. And, of course, the First Corinthians 13 passage is a is a good starting place for those that need some more coaching on, well, how do I do that? So I would just welcome um, any any men that would like to stand for any of those elements to do that, and then we're going to pray for the guys. Hi, my name is David, for those of you that don't know me. Um, When the the brief passage that said, uh, men, love your wives as you love yourselves, well, I immediately flashed to uh, another scripture that came up later of, you know, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And in those two passages is a clue as to how what the enemy and... Uh, avenue of attack that the enemy has and it's against our own self-love there is a healthy self-love there really is you know we don't think so in this western you know modern society that there is such a thing as a healthy self-love but there is Thoreau wrote I don't know anymore 80 hundred years ago of men leading lives of quiet desperation. And when you look at our world today, our desperation isn't so quiet anymore. I mean, uh, 
kind of fascinating. The Mariana, my wife, just started um, a halftime job in Austin teaching, and the uh, building that her classroom is in is next door to the building where the guy flew the plane into in the IRS building. And I'd say that man was living a life of not-so-quiet desperation. And so I just believe that God would want to minister, especially to the men, because of the context today in the area of self-love. You know, if there's any place of self-loathing that you have, God wants to take that away because that's, that's not him. It's, not, it's, it's the enemy doing that. And the Lord wants to minister to that. And the other thing I want to say that um, just came to me just now is that even though we've been talking about husbands and wives, single folks are not excluded from this because this is all can all be considered training because potentially you will all find yourselves in a you know in a marriage situation and so if there's a any of these areas that have been talked about so far and you're single but you know that these things you're experiencing these things. The Lord wants to minister to you too. Okay, and uh, I just want to say that the Lord is crazy about all of us. He loves each and one of us with a just an, an amazing love, and He wants to touch you with that love and heal today. He wants. He literally wants to heal. But you have to let Him. I just encourage you to do that. So if we could have uh, any men that relate to any of those areas to stand, then we would like to pray for you as well. Thank you. If we could have a couple... Folks gather with those two guys. I think it's appropriate to have the guys, uh, guys pray for guys, just to give them freedom <coughs> to share what's going on. If there are any other guys that need prayer, just stand. You can be protected knowing that we'll have men come to you to pray for you. Father, we just welcome your Holy Spirit uh, upon these two, but also, Lord, upon each of us as men here and the space that there is for uh, healing and mending um, of many areas of our lives that have been askew, off the mark, uh, times and places where we have been uh, hurt and harmed, misled, um, even abused, and times where we've missed the mark, uh, extending the, the kind of love and care that Jesus has extended to us. And I just welcome you. Welcome you, Holy Spirit, upon each and every man, married or single, in this room. That our understandings of your faithfulness to us, your care, your forgiveness, your encouragement, 
you're being crazy about us would have its effect, that we would be transformed in our broken hearts, mended and healed, and filled with the resources to love as you have loved us. We're just going to let these guys get some prayer. If there's anybody else that would like some prayer about something not related, we don't want you to leave unblessed. So you guys can just come forward, kind of mosey around here. Some folks will watch that you're coming up, and they'll come and pray for you. Um, And we are going to be having peace with the pastor. So those of you that are staying for that, just go into that conference room. Eventually, Randy and I will get in there when we see that you're in there. And that sounds good. We'll see you next week. We love you. And God bless.